Welcome to Interscription. What better time than now for us to inspect the state of our union here at Interscription, a place where politics, mushrooms, Nazis, and cell shading get equal airtime. This week's hall is rife with connection, with relationships, and with eights across the board. Join our week in review on shows current and less so, and even a rhythm-filled rush of high fidelity in our nod of gaming. Thanks for staying on this road with us. So, yeah, like you just said, it is blazing hot, and um, I'm glad you're saving the planet. I am obviously cooking it from my office. It's, it's the yin, it's the yang. That's, that's it. It's, that's you are offsetting my carbon footprint, and I am turning into carbon, by which I mean ash. I am actually just immolating here in just, this office. Yes, uh, I have... Thanks to so, global warming, I opened the window to make it better, but it's like 70 degrees out, so like that's not helping. Doesn't matter. It's, there's fire outside, there's fire inside. It's everywhere. It's good, dude. But um, yeah, it's been a week. How have you been? I feel like we've both been kind of running around a little crazy. Been uh, pretty pretty epically busy. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah, I uh, work for sure. It's been a little uh, kooky and uh, involved. Um, you know, like I guess, uh, for the most of the time that I've had, you know, IT gigs, like there's kind of an ebb and flow to it. And, you know, sometimes several projects are all, uh, overlapping on one another. And, uh, so yeah, been uh, pretty, pretty crazy for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, o- overall, uh, I guess between that and then, uh, for some reason, I don't know why I feel this way about this week, but this week feels like the first week that I don't know it it's a stupid thing to say but it's like after the holidays like it feels like we just finally got out of the holidays and and for us anyway here at the at the uh, northeastern pennsylvania uh headquarters for uh <laughs> the the satellite office for interscription here um that they all me and both the boys uh got sick around the holidays and then we got a round two because you know why not you know do it again and uh it just everybody's finally like kind of into it this week. So I feel like everybody's uh, more productive this week and everybody's less uh, snotty. And uh, yeah, so that part's good, but it does feel like it's like kind of back to work in a weird way. I don't know how to describe it very well, but, um, but that's been going on. Yeah. Um, It's been, uh, but other than that, uh, extraordinarily slammed with work. How about you? Um, Also slammed, although I got kind of a fun reprieve. So uh, you know, I do veterans work and as part of that, in order to access uh, client files, I actually have to be like a pretend VA employee hmm. because the way they do access to claims files is I get a card and a reader and I have to remote into Citrix to get to one of their remote machines to access. And so they don't have like a system for like external people to access files so they just give us private attorneys access. I signed on for this two years ago. It's been life-changing. I can actually get into my client's files and see what's going on and have that, like, the power of omnipotence. You know, somebody calls says, what's the status of my case? Hold on a second. Well, it looks like Jim and receiving got our appeal on Friday at 4.43 p.m. and passed it to Dave over here. And, like, really makes me seem like a much better lawyer than, frankly, I am um, (laughs) with that level of just, like, understanding of what's going on. Um, But it expires every two years and it's photo ID. Got to run in with my passport and all of that. And so went in and, you know, everything kind of runs at the pace of government. 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to sit down in the cafeteria while they finished up some other stuff before they could take me in for this. And, oh, that's fine. You know, they're doing their jobs. They're working. So got the old card out, got the new card. Um, This is one of the places where I will die on the hill of a much easier time in the Mac world than the Windows world because Mm -hmm. I initially was going to set up my Surface to be my kiosk for this card reader. Mm -hmm. And... The driver experience of that, I spent a solid week trying to like troubleshoot it and do all of it. And on a lark, I pulled out one of my old MacBooks and plugged in the card reader and it just like no drivers. It just worked. I will never update it because Apple doesn't have the greatest track record with keeping compatibility between versions. And so it's like it works. Whatever the secret science is, is good. So, you know, they said you got to bring in your laptop so you can make sure the card syncs and all of that. So I get the new card. I pull up my laptop and the guy kind of raises an eyebrow. He's like, that's not, that's not a VA laptop, is it? Like, no, it sure isn't. And I, you know, keep going about my business and he's just kind of standing there like, you know, wondering, you know, what special rec order I put in to get a fancy MacBook because that morning they all got new Dells. Ah, like the whole office got, and I mean, they're like, you know, government issue, Inspirons, and they were all bitching a wild storm about Dell and the drivers not working, complaining. So me rolling up with my MacBook, it really was the, like an old style PC versus Mac ad right there. Um, so I'm sure he had that little like, you know, what what part of the VA did you say you work for again? And, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, who's your supervisor and how do I get one of those? Um, but the card only sort of worked. So the new card, like I put it in, I did my pin code, did all of that. I was able to remote in, which by the way, is not a VA employee. Like I said, you know, he's like, well, test it, make sure it works. And I'm looking around in this basement with like no signal. I'm like, well, can I get a Wi-Fi password? Like, what do you, don't you have it? We have Wi-Fi all over the place. Like, no, I don't have it. Should I have it? Can I have it? Like, (laughs) no, I, I, again, I, I don't, I don't work here. Like I'm not one of you. I don't have like the password. So I ended up having to like hotspot because they couldn't give me Wi-Fi. So I'm like already like MacGyvering the fuck out of this, like holding the phone up to like what might be a window through four feet of concrete. Um, And I got it. I was able to get into the remote machine with my authentication. And then I went to the website that I have to access from within the remote machine to have the appropriate credential. Yeah. Like, so I got to log into their remote desktop to have permission to access the web-based feature that's only on their intranet. Um, And then I clicked on that bad boy and it said, I'm sorry, this is not the right PIV card. You need another PIV card. And so I showed it to him. I'm like, well, I got this far and now it's complaining. Said, yep, I'm going to have to take it IT. So we went up four floors, like through like all of these cubicle farms um, and finally like through a lobby and another lobby and got to the guy who is actually like the cool IT guy, like straight up with the frosted tips in his hair and like an earring and like just like straight up like, Max Hedron turned into like a 22 year old that somehow like works for the government. And like, he is exactly like what everybody's nephew is supposed to look like who does the IT stuff. And they kind of dropped me with him and, you know, going through some other people. It was actually like a 90 year old employer, somebody there like with a walker, like not even like a grandma joke, but actually like grandma, like sitting down, like figuring out how to access her VA email. 
Um, so that was fun. And I pull up my thing and he walks over. He's like, I can't help you with this. Where's your VA computer? And (laughs) I kind of came full circle and said, so let me back up. This was working this morning. I came in to renew the card. Here's the new card. You guys took the old card. So I can't go back to that, but same card reader, same chip, like now it's not working, but here's where it's not working. And he's like, well, I don't know how to work with Max. Like, that's cool because I can get you to Windows. So let me get you to the Citrix so Windows desktop that we're actually talking about that is the VA computer somewhere that I have mm-hmm. access to. And it is like, it's whether it's on a blade somewhere, like it's dedicated, like it's got my shortcuts on it. It's my desktop. So it's not like I just log in every time and it's somebody's, you know, like default thing that goes away. Like it's got my Outlook account logged in, like everything's there in my place. So it is a Windows interface with Windows drivers, everything that he is used to dealing with. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, where's the start key? Yeah. yeah, So like we started going around like uh, all of that and I got him a little bit of the way there. And then this other guy comes over and he's like, well, the problem is, you know, the old card was a CA4 and you really need the drivers for a CA7. And the 22-year-old kid just like drops his jaw like, what? First of all, I don't understand any of the words that you're saying. Second of all, this isn't a VA computer. And like, I, he just kept kind of recycling that bit. And i like, can I have one? Like, I promise to use it carefully and only use it for this. Like, I, if that's the solution... Sure. I am happy to take an inspiron. Like yep. no, no notes. That's absolutely fine. Um, but it really was just like the IT circle of hell that they like even have this system and the ridiculousness of it. Like the card reader is fine. Like it's biometric authentication. Like we've got those for different things in our lives. Mm-hmm. But what we're really talking about is me accessing something that's on a website, and that website is based on Salesforce. Hmm. So the fact that like the access to it is locked to a virtual desktop somewhere on a server just so that I can be authenticated when I already had to be authenticated to get onto that server in the first place. And then I have to re-authenticate to access the site anyway, just feels like, I don't know, maybe not the best use of our government dollars or the best way to approach this. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what brought them there. I mean, Citrix is awfully powerful. Uh, we play with it at work. Uh, I, I, I don't. Uh, I don't know. It, it does. It does sound like with that extra level, it just sounds like somebody had already started a Citrix farm at some point, and that was where everything was going to go. And That's then right. somewhere along the line, they wanted to fold in both internal and external access for that same for for the same systems. Um, and instead of having some people use Citrix and some people not, they're just adding that extra layer, I guess. I mean, it's impossible to know without talking to somebody like a 22-year-old Max Hedron yeah. type. But uh, Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, it was really just the incredulity of not understanding why I wasn't using a VA computer. And like, it's, there's lots of, it's not just me, like it's uh, contractors, it's external stakeholders, it's uh, service officers. Like this is not the first time this has happened. Like this is a thing. Um, So that was fun, but you know, ultimately we've got something cooking and I think that's good. I um, will not be doing that again for a little while and I will be sticking to my own IT problems here at home. 
two years, actually, as it sounds like. You got two years, and then That's you get it. to do it again. And that That's guy it. will be not working there anymore. I don't think he's allowed to look like that and work for the government. So No, uh, no, no, no. The, else. Everybody else there looked exactly like you would expect them, and then that guy was just... I don't know, like his summer lifeguarding gig kind of dried up and, you know, he had to do something in the winter months. And so there he was fixing computers. That's it. Good for him. In a few years, we just won't have winter months and he'll just That's be able right. to stay with uh, lifeguarding. Yeah, all, all lifeguarding all the time. All about it. So, yeah, we've got some fun stuff. I absolutely did not talk to you about the agenda items I threw on here. And so hopefully you have some others. Yeah, this is a good list. This is a good list. I um, do have a couple um, to to kind of throw out when we get to playing and watching stuff uh, for sure. Um, got to uh, see a movie or two, so maybe we can awesome, drop awesome. those in there. Um, but yeah, I kind of want to kick off. We don't. I mean, we touch on politics uh, from time to time. Um, but we love we, politics. We love it. We we live in it. Uh, that's. I mean, I plan on bringing it up early and often and we still need to really dive into the world of hogwarts legacy and really unpack all of the pearl clutching that there is around that one yeah i'm really irritated that we're even recording a podcast right now because i wish i was sitting in front of my xbox playing it i'm so frustrated but uh yeah i mean and that's that's really the double fake is that you would never have played a harry potter game but for all of the free press it's getting by getting this negative press. No bad press in the world. That's right. Um, but yeah, I wanted to kick off and ask you a little bit about the State of the Union. We had texted a little bit about it, but, you know, it's kind of, I don't do all of the politics. You know, I don't have C-SPAN in the background all day long, although, you know, if they keep going into fistfights, maybe, you know, I'll tune in more because that seems fun. But you know, the State of the Union feels like my civic responsibility to watch it regardless of who's in office. I don't think I've missed one since. I think I caught one of my first ones at your house in like 96 with Clinton uh, on your computer, like with a cable card plugged in. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, really came by it honestly in terms of like watching these. Uh, what did you think? decorum speech topics populism the stammering all of it like what's your take of this state of the union sure i um yeah i'll, I'll keep it brief because i uh i don't oh yeah we've got you know, entertainment to get to yeah I, as entertaining as it was <laughs> as the state of the union um but i i think um i don't know some of my takeaways are i i think that my my overarching commentary uh, coming, you know, back from kind of the Trump era is that um, when you use that term decorum, I love that, that I think that's a great pivot point for um, politics. Um, I think we lost that back then. I think that there was something, um, it was like kind of a devil's deal with Trump where I feel like um, everybody that we had uh, pushed through the Oval Office, um, even George W., who was, uh, you know, <laughs> he was a, a creative with his speech at times. Uh, <clears throat> I think everybody was rather impenetrable. Um, I think everybody that 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 uh, held that office and most political offices were almost intentionally uh, intellectual, and there was too much of their. Um, 
this air, this rarefied air that they were carrying around with them. And right. um, that was extremely frustrating to kind of um, want to be, want to see these people who were representing us and yet were almost polarizing themselves with their speech and with the way they carried themselves. Um, and I think that one of the most important things Trump did was uh, dumb all that down and bring it back down to the people um, in a way that nobody else, even Obama, who no matter what your politics was, you could just love to have a beer with that guy, right? Um, b- was still somewhat impenetrable, right? Like there was still this this air about them, this political air um, that, that felt um, a little bit too... Um, disingenuous for people who are truly representing us, you know, the, the people who, who, who live and work in this country. Um, so something Trump definitely did. The devil's deal with that was that he also completely lost everything that looked like decorum, right? He brought it down to the people and then turned it into a mosh pit. And that, that was maybe the, 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 the part of it that I think was really broken. I think, that has never gone away since he was in office. I think every state of the union, I think just about every every political circus-like event, which is nearly all of them, come out that way. Um, the weird uh, yelling and calling from the back and the the the, the noise and the it's just the 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 impropriety of people, <laughs> the 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 disgusting. Uh, uh, lack of respect for the, not for the president or another party, but for the institution of the state of the union is right. gone. Right. Like it's just people with their smirks, with their funny, with their, with their yelling, with their nasty comments, with their standing up and clapping in the, in, in, in not, not, not the applause, mind you, the actual like clapping into people's faces and, and, and just really lowbrow stuff um, that, that, crept in and is now in there like a fungus and will not come out. And, um, that's unfortunate. Um, I will say so that was kind of, that was the biggest part for me that was frustrating is that we couldn't just get there. Right. Um, I think I often thought it was a fun, weird thing that we do at the State of the Union where the political party is divided down the middle and half of the room is Democrats, half of the room is Republicans. And and depending on what the president says and what topic they're talking about, half of the room stands up and claps or the other half and sometimes all of them. Um, And... And it's it's almost like this weird sort of like crowd meter to see, you know, right, right. How, how liberal or conservative was our State of the Union, you know, kind of bouncing back and forth and in sort of a fun way. I felt like um, I felt like it was um, a couple other things. I think uh, I, I don't I don't think this is a real hot take here. I don't think Biden should be around another four years. I think that guy's very old, and I think that he's having trouble public speaking and getting through that stuff. Um, there is some, some blubbering and some stammering that like is, is just rough. I, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud of him for doing that work. That is a difficult job. I'm sure that I couldn't do it. Uh, I, I think I'd probably stammer less and I'm still not particularly great at public speaking now, 47 episodes into a podcast, but I still think that I'd probably be a little bit more clear and able to, uh, to orate in, in that room, uh, than, than he, um, I thought it was kind of funny. I did text this to you that, you know, he's got his notes in front of him, right? He's got that binder and he's, he's like, 
you know, he's flipping the, 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 the laminated pages over, you know, as he's going through his, his speech and whatever. And at one point I, I, I kind of giggled because like, instead of just taking one page and moving it over, he just grabbed like a handful of like six or seven pages and just tossed them over and kept going. And I was just like, so you're not using those, are you? <laughs> like, like it was just a weird, like That's right. a weird thing to do. Like, I don't know. Um, you know, which is, which means he's obviously just rehearsing and memorizing everything and he's not using notes for notes and, uh, you know, from a speech perspective. And, um, anyway, uh, so I don't know. I think that I, I think, um, you had brought about a point that I think came around to the end of it and I'll, I'll pass the ball back to you. I, I, I feel like it, there were moments when we got around to social security and in particular that it felt like um, somehow after all of the mess that was going on that the whole room sort of settled on agreeing. It was this weird hypnotic kind of thing that just wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that was the thing everybody was going to agree on throughout the entirety of the state of the union stuff. Like, I don't know, infrastructure seems like that would have made it. Cause it's just like, everybody likes trains and roads and shit. And like, I, like it felt like that might've been something where everybody was pretty happy, but yeah. like, but for some reason, like you're you know, that, that by the end of it, I don't know if everybody was just exhausted or what, but, but yeah, it seemed like it really took until the end for them to start like both Democrats and Republicans to be getting up and, and clapping. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think what you saw is instead of it being kind of that, you know, seesaw that you've had where, you know, some things are, you know, red meat for the opposition party, some are, you know, to your base. And so, you know, I very clearly remember Clinton actually saying, like, oh, yeah, it seems like a bit of a seesaw out here, you know, where he'd like say one thing and one thing and one thing. And, um, you know, here, like, there wasn't a lot of that, you know, when the right disagreed with what he was saying. They were just shouting profanity at him. And then, like, I thought that was his most adept moment. You know, there's been this debate on the debt ceiling and, you know, the Reader's Digest, a quick Cliff Notes version of it is um, the debt ceiling is about bills we've already paid. Like, the debt ceiling is about we negotiated a budget. This is part of the budget that we already negotiated. But there's this congressional mechanism where if we don't raise the debt ceiling, we can no longer pay those bills that we've already agreed to pay. And so that's what this debate is about. And, you know, the fundamental issue that all presidents of both parties have argued, and really we should just frankly get rid of the debt ceiling. Um, but it's very popular for the minority party to be able to hold you know, the president hostage on some of these things. Um, so it's hard to get consensus around that um, without, you know, unilateral control. And, you know, that's kind of like we have this debate going on and uh, the Republicans right now want to get concessions and spending cuts uh, from Biden and the Democrats in order to agree to pay the bills we've already incurred. And, you know, I'm trying to do this as even handed as possible with the absolute understanding that I think the debt ceiling is just bullshit. I think it's a made up thing. And what I think is that we should have that debate when it comes time to negotiate the budget. Like when we do this year's budget, like let's have it out. The Republicans are in control of Congress and can hold it up and not pass a budget and they can put their proposals for, forth, negotiate whatever spending cuts or programs they want. The other side can come in. Like for me, that's the place to have this, not whether or not we should pay the bills we already agreed to pay last mm. year. Um, but part of it is some members of Congress had said some of the things they want to cut 
or Social Security and Medicare. Um, Rick Scott, in particular, had a plan that called for sunsetting Social Security and Medicare every five years unless it was voted back up. Um, and so, you know, when Biden said, you know, I'm not even saying it's a majority of you guys, but, you know, some of you want to do this. And that's when they just went absolutely like nuts. And I thought it was his most adept moment in the sense that he kind of dropped the script. I don't think he was expecting everybody to in the house to say, that's not true. We all love it. And so like, he kind of just went with it and said, Oh, okay, well, yeah, then we all agree, you know, social security and Medicare are off the table forever and had like everybody standing up and cheering. And that's like, traditionally a very unrepublican position. Mm. And so like, that was just a, a a moment of that spark. Like he had all of his amphetamines and whatever else he needed. And like, he just grabbed that moment and took it. Um, I will say he's always had a stutter. Uh, Mm. He's always struggled like for 50 years. He's always struggled in public speaking and stuttered and uh, jumbled up his words as has George W as have some other presidents in the past. Um, Trump would say weird shit, but he was a very good entertainer and Obama could speak circles around everyone. And so I think we've been kind of spoiled and just having like really good speakers in regardless of policy who could entertain and who could tell the story, regardless of how you feel about what they're saying. Biden's not that. However, I do agree with you that I think um, he is old. He is slowing down a bit and, uh, you know, getting those sparks where the core of what has kept him in national office for 50 years is less frequent than it should be. And I think it's going to be very hard for him to go on a campaign trail and punch at or above his weight class in any meaningful way. So I think, I don't know that he is going to run again. You know, I mean, he's going to be what, 81, 82 by the time the next election is rolling around. And so, you know, he would be in office until he's 86 and um, right on. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. But yeah, I thought those moments were good, entertaining. I think the screaming and the shouting is bullshit because like your protest is that, right? Like if you don't like what the president's saying, you sit there steely eyed and don't get up. You don't applaud like and we've had that for years and you're making yourself heard like everybody understands this side of the aisle does not like that bullshit. You don't have to shout. You don't have to be a baby about it. Um, And listen, I think Nancy Pelosi was a fantastic speaker of the house. She very publicly at one of Trump's state of the unions tore up his speech behind him while he was speaking. And again, that's also grandstanding, you know, to Kevin McCarthy's credit, you know, he tried to tell his caucus to shut the fuck up and Mm -hmm. stop being children Mm-hmm. Um, you know, behind him and, you know, would occasionally like nod no or make, you know, a disgusted face if Biden said something that he didn't agree with. And that's fine. Like, you're allowed to do that. You're in the, uh, sure. you're, you don't have to be emotionless, but still respectful. And so, right. yeah, uh, that's uh, my take in a nutshell. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is the, 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 uh, the idea of, um, I guess it was, uh, Michelle Obama with the, you know, when they go low, we go high. And then at some point, like she said something about (laughs) that, that's really not going to be how she handles it anymore. And, um, that's unfortunate. I think the decorum of, of politics has, 
has been okay. I don't think that that was where the problem was. I do think that there was always a way to have some of the more accessible uh, nature that Trump brought to politics without all the shitty behavior. Like I feel like that's possible, um, and we didn't get that other half, unfortunately, with the first half. But um, or we did, we did get the shitty part with the with the uh, with the accessible part, and that that is unfortunate. Um, I, I do hope for. Uh, a leveling out. I, 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 um, I, I feel more than anything. I think, I think the thing that kind of, kind of bugs me about Biden with, with, with him being as, as old as he is, is there's a, there's a weird sort of out of touchness that doesn't seem to resonate with who that guy is. It sort of feels like his, his, uh, his, his support structure is what's doing the presidenting right now. Um, and, and that, that's a little frustrating, like, cause it doesn't feel like, like I, I did feel better for worse, usually for worse that like sometimes when, when Trump would fire off, that was all him. And when I, with Obama, when he would, you know, lean into what he did really, you know, his moonshot with, with Obamacare and everything he was going for, that was him. Like, I felt like it was him. I, I felt like for most of our presidents that the, the landmark decisions or indecision that they had was always them. Like, and I don't know that I've felt like anything that Biden's done has been uniquely Biden. It just feels like he's part of a machine that's keeping him on, uh, hopefully not literal life support on the way through the rest of his, uh, uh, his presidency. So anyway, that's my thoughts on it. But, uh, yes, uh, I'm same, same with you. I think that's part of my, uh, responsibility as a, as a citizen of this country is to at least watch the state of the union, no matter who's there. That's it. And now we can fuck off and talk about video games and TV. So want to do that after break? Let's do it after a break. Awesome. As all the politics we've had, so let's talk about fun stuff. The funnest of things, the most fun, things that are enjoyable, entertainment. We are to be entertained and therefore entertain by proxy of the entertainment we have consumed. And what I love about this is the first two items we have are um, a post-apocalyptic, very sad emotional story, The Last of Us, and hunting Nazis in America. So like we said, entertaining fun it's uh, that um that tom hanks everything he says is uh, a total rip <laughs> i have aids yeah, yes yes yeah nothing but a laugh riot here uh, on interscription so yeah let, let's hit on this uh, last of us i finally took my medicine i got caught up um Whew. me and steph watched the third episode asynchronously because she was not sure she was going to do the show and then she did watch it the following morning, and then we watched episode four. So I think we're current. I did more? not watch the fourth one yet. So, okay. I, but I think I don't think that one matters as much as the third one. So we'll just talk no. about the first three. Yeah. So, first of all, loving the fucking science. I, I love how seriously they take it. I, I think it's fun. I do think it's a little bit much. I think sometimes um was the one because you had mentioned like i think i was talking with you offline that you know i watched the premiere and then um maybe it was the second episode that you said um yeah there's like a point where i was just like yeah okay i'll come back if i if i need any notes yeah Um, i think you had done the two and then i had i had at that point watched the third one and the third one is, I imagine that's all we're really going to talk about today because yep. it's the only one that mattered. The the that 
it's it's a flashback episode, but that first part of the episode and the end of the episode is sort of book or book ending. You know, like the book ending. What, what am I trying to say? Book ending is that what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Book ending. Bracketing. Okay. Bracketing. Bracketing. Yes, bracketing that 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 uh, that flashback. And in the beginning bracket with you know Joel and Ellie. Um, there's a huge science dump about the flower and the the food and the the, the you know right, what happened right, right, and the, right. like yep. and I was like oh god guys this is like three episodes in and it's like whew, like you know like you can leave a little bit you know behind the curtain a little a little bit like they they do just, I mean in some ways it's refreshing because I did watch all 812 seasons of walking dead and they just said there's zombies and (laughs) I don't get to know why and when they're going to fix it. If they're going to fix it, what happened? Like there's none of the anything. It's just there's zombies. Of course there's zombies. Stop asking questions. That's right. Um, So this show three episodes in gave me a hundred times more science than walking dead ever did. Um, So maybe it was just that it's that stark contrast of like almost every episode. They're just like beating me over the head with, the why of of this world i don't even really remember that from the game um so i'm interested to replay it and you know when it comes out in march um incidentally that part one got pushed to the end of march uh, was at the beginning of march before so we got a couple extra weeks but um in any case you know uh when we get to it i I, because i do not remember them getting that sciency in the game at all um but maybe i just don't remember it um but uh anyway so yeah let's uh Let's talk it up. I, I I felt like the first episode was a good one. Um, when you play the game, there is a couple of things that are lifted directly from the game. Um, so you'll see that they their their homage really came out of that first first episode for sure. Um, I didn't feel like nearly as much out in, in the second episode, although the set pieces and everything, like you said, with some of the architecture and whatever, are ripped straight out of the game. Um, right, and I guess that fake museum is kind of part of that like structure. Yeah, yeah, like the noodling around in Boston and that. Yeah, uh, I will say, I will say that those first two episodes are good. They're they they're good. good. Yeah. They're just I, I, solid to me. They're like solid eights, solid eights. Like I, I'm not like, oh my god, if you don't watch this show, you'll die for for those two episodes. But it is good. It's just solid good TV. Everybody's doing a fine job. A couple of people are doing a slightly less than fine job, but we're all getting through it and it's feeling just fine. That's right. Um, and then. Episode three is, uh, is so it? here's my question. I mean, yes. this was basically, I have seen it described as a Sundance film in the middle of a zombie series. Hmm. Um, you know, it's divergent. It stars Nick Offerman and somebody who's not Nick Offerman in this flashback that really tangentially touches on the characters and the story. Like it, ultimately it's just, a place that uh, Joel and Ellie need to stop for a few minutes to get some supplies and move on. And so there's really, from a plot perspective, not a whole lot of reason to have this story in the show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that fair uh, to say like from a, I want to have an emotional story where I show the impact of this apocalypse on ordinary people or interesting people. Like it's very, impactful in that sense but if you just pick it out it doesn't have a lot to do with the story that the last of us is telling with joel and ellie on their mission to do what they're doing yeah i i I think that's fair i think that there's enough um 
complementary angles in this story. Right? So I think you can say like, like for example, you'll hear them mutter right near the end of that uh, mini Sundance uh, movie in the middle. You'll hear them talk about the code book for the radio station. Yeah. Um, so the seventies, eighties, nineties thing, it, they actually like mutter that out real quickly. Like, and so like that comes up um, when uh what is her name tess the um mm -hmm. joel's uh girl tess yeah, um yeah. um when tess talks about talking to somebody you know and talks about bill and frank and you know what i mean like like yeah. now you know who they are um you know so i mean there's just a bunch of places where they sort of like backfill a couple of the things that they mentioned in the first two episodes totally i think I think it would have been more valuable if there was even more hooks and they pushed this episode out later so that they could have really had more things kind of punched down That's into right. Bill and Frank. But, uh, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, really it's, it is not a, it's not important in as much as like, it has a lot to do with what is happening with Joel and Ellie. I mean, it's just a supply stop for them and then they keep moving is really what happens. Um, so I yeah, guess that. I, so, let me take that for a second before we get into the heart of what that episode was all about, why it was impactful. Um, my concern and the reason I even raised that is that was a pretty big coin to put down. You know, that was a pretty big like ticker to say, these are the stakes of this show. This is what we are about as a creative enterprise. And it, almost makes me nervous if they never come back to anything like it again mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. like not specifically that story but that amount of emotional connection that amount of human development and if the rest of this arc is just joel and ellie go on a big adventure um it almost cheapens what was one of the most beautiful 120 minutes of tv i've seen yeah, yeah. um so very quick synopsis. Can we do that at episode four? Are we allowed to do that or do we not do that? Like, yeah, I mean, I don't think we have to tell about the result. That? Like I just, we don't have to talk about how it resolves, but I think we can talk about it. You yeah. Know? So, I mean, basically starts with Nick Offerman. It's a flashback right after the outbreak. You've got these, um, paramilitary, like government people evacuating his town. And it's like this tiny town. He's hiding out in his secure basement because he's a, a survivalist. And so he's got, racks of guns, racks of food. And so they don't find him to put him on the truck. And they showed the result of that truck at the beginning of the episode where they just ended up killing everybody on the truck anyway. So mm -hmm. good choice for him. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they were all out of town, he's like strapping his boat to his trailer and hopping over to Home Depot and they turn the power off. He's like, mm, that was fast. So he just goes over to the power station and turns it right the fuck back on. So he's got power in his house, like really mm -hmm. just salt of the earth kind of dude, electric fence, traps. He like, you know, it's a whole big guy for really an A-team kind of montage where he's like putting the whole thing together and the zombie survivalist kit, like he's got it on lockdown. He's got his surveillance. And then one day a human being falls into one of his traps. And so he goes out to ace him and does not want this dude sticking around. So says, well, I'm not shooting you. So on your way, mm -hmm. um, Dude begs him for a meal. He's hungry. He came up from Baltimore towards Boston. Um, not clear exactly where they are geographically, but that's a long walk with zombies. So good on it, him. I, I want to say they only said it was like half a dozen miles outside of Boston. Like it is very close to Boston. Yeah. I mean, I can't even really drive from Baltimore to Boston in a day. So good on that dude. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, he comes in and, you know, rather than throwing him a cheese sandwich and sending him on his way, um, uh, Nick Offerman makes him like rabbit uh, a la something the fuck. And I don't even know that I like rabbit, but whatever that was, was like the most gorgeous meal in any timeline in any state of apocalypse ever mm-hmm. and sets him down. Um, and then these two guys start singing Linda Ronstadt together. And, you know, before you know it, they're in bed, as uh, often happens with two guys just trying to survive the apocalypse. So it turns into this um, really touching romantic story covering the arc of their lives over a number of years into the apocalypse. And um, it's just totally unexpected. Like, I didn't read any spoilers and didn't know anything about it. And so I know a lot of people understood that this was kind of what Nick Offerman was doing in this episode, but it touched on, you know, human existence, the frailty of life, the closeness of love to get like all of these just powerful issues. And both of them put in such overwhelmingly solid performances with like such depth and range that, you know, the zombie apocalypse was kind of tangential. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they, had raiders they had to defend their land like it was a whole thing and yeah i I was very moved and that's why you know i'm voicing my concern at the top that if you're just throwing this in because nick offerman said he wanted to do an episode and you didn't know where else to put him in meh but if Mm -hmm. like if this is what you're putting down as table stakes of what this show can bring then the walking dead should just be deleted from the internet yeah yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you just said. I, I, I it was a little bit. Um, so this this episode ran, I guess, about twenty minutes more than just about every other episode uh, on the on the. So they're roughly an hour. I think this is about an hour and twenty. Um, and I guess there's actually a two hour cut of this episode um, that it started at, and they actually had to edit it down. Um, and so then they went to HBO for permission to run something longer than an hour and and got it. Um, but they didn't get a two hour episode. They got to basically edit this down into one big one. Um, I think that in the beginning of their relationship, I feel like that was where they cut more than I think I would have liked. I felt like Mm. we went from him falling into a pit to them falling into bed together in like an hour. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like that was, that was a pretty quick turnaround, like including the, Hey, get in the shower. Cause like, I mean, there was a whole like, and there was, it was weird to me that it like pushed that fast. It was, um, I tried not to be too cynical about it feeling, you know, um, like maybe it was, uh, like that. I don't know. It just felt like that was the one part of it that, that wasn't maybe as organic as, as the rest of the episode, which was awfully organic. Like that, the, like the way that the relationship developed between these two people, um, the way they complemented one another, the, the, um, all of the, the, the ideas about grief and loss, all of the ideas about, you know, con- human connection with people outside of their circle when they have, uh, Joel and Tess come out that, that time and what a hysterical and perfectly wrought, uh, uh, scene when they were outside, uh, eating together and had Joel and, and, uh, and Bill pair off is absolutely priceless. Just the right level of humor. Those two w- did acting work there that other people just wouldn't be qualified to do. And it it was, it was beautiful, uh, funny and fun and, and, you know, worked in all the ways that it worked. Um, 
so I just felt like it was like a tad rushed in the beginning there. You're right. Like it really did go from him being into a pit to them sleeping together. And like, a, like we were just like, we really had to get the sex quotient in quickly, you know, gay sex or otherwise, like they just had to get these two together. And I, I don't, I don't know that that really helped the or, organic nature of the story. Um, I think I understood what they were trying to do there. Um, I just don't think that like, I feel like there was some minutes on the cutting room floor that maybe would have made that feel a little bit more organic for mm-hmm. me. Um, then again, you know, that was an extraordinarily long episode and it, it got to all, an awful lot of great content. So once you get past that, Absolutely beautiful. I do think that their relationship um, had the right levels of understanding, right? Like, you know, like, and it, it, it was the, you know, as corny as it is, it's the whole love is love thing, right? Like, I mean, it really, it really felt like there's so many times when you see a story that's like, well, this story is you know, an interracial story, or this one's a gay love story, or this one's a heterosexual story, or this one is a trans story or whatever. And it, and its point from the jump is to, to drive that, that messaging home, right. Of like, well, this, we want you to understand, right. Like everybody sit down, grab your notebooks and pay attention because love is love. And in that way, so many times it's failed. There's so many times it feels like you're being preached to and you're being told that that's the lesson you have to take home today, whether they do it well or not. And this is a story of two people who grew so close and grew so um, beautifully um, intertwined, right? In, in ways that were um, healthily codependent and, 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 and properly complementary in a way that like looked like real love. And that I, I cannot stress enough is something that doesn't get done well enough in on-screen relationships. Um, so for this thing to have the vast majority of that relationship being displayed on screen, just in one episode, um, all, all the, all the points, all the points, um, you're right. This is the that's the card, right? Like I, like I yeah. forget episodes one and two relative to this one, right? Like this one was that, that big, um, got to see just a couple of cliff notes about the things that they're doing in episode four, which again, just not as important as episode three again. So I don't know. I don't know what that means for the rest of the show. You're right. That's a tough, that's a tough thing to, to do here. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get another one of these in that way. And in yeah, in that level for sure. No, and I I don't know if it's eight or ten episodes, but you almost like you've got some actual story that you've got to tell. It was picked up for a second season, uh, but you know where else would you fit something in like this? Or you know, are you going to have room to have that emotional content in the mainline story and still like carry forward? And I think for episode four, I'm not gonna. I know you haven't caught it yet. There are some really good moments. There are some mo- moments that I think. Um, hit it above something like Walking Dead where like you're really connecting with Joel and Ellie specifically and their bond is growing precipitously in this episode. So like they've definitely got the writing chops, which is good. But yeah, I mean, it was such a painfully unique vignette and you're right. Like it had nothing to do with the sexual orientation of the characters or anything other than just their human connection to one another in a way that nobody needs to understand anything else. Like we've all been in a relationship of some sort where we've had that connection at some point in our lives for better or worse for success or failure. Um, we know what that looks like. We know it in our bones, in our core. And so 
by just showing that like that is the message that love is love corny or not like you don't need more yeah and so yeah, yeah it really powerful fingers crossed that they continue to deliver at that level of content to make the tv engaging and something greater than a story <clears throat> about mushroom zombies sure yeah so yeah absolutely yeah on your end you caught up with hunters I cut off, caught, caught up with Hunters, um, so much so hurtling through it that I finished the first season and started the second one. I actually watched the first episode of the second season. Um, uh, that's that's a very interesting show. I think that is a show that lands at a solid eight for me. Um, I promise to have slightly different scores for something <laughs> at some point today. Didn't um, watch it. Got it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea. Somebody should tell me what it's about. Um, it. Um, so I was actually listening back to um, doing some audio check stuff on the previous uh, episode and remembering through some of your commentary about Hunters. And I wanted to call back to some of that because I felt like um, you had mentioned how it like kind of like has this sort of uh, fun nature to it, a la Preacher, um, in, in ways that felt like it was a little bit zanier than um, than maybe traditional fare, you know, drama fare. Um, and I understand why you say that. I feel like the, f naturally so, I felt like the flavor might have hit me a little bit different than that. Um, I think that, I think that I saw the places where that was something they wanted to do. And I feel like there just wasn't enough. There's really like yep. that, that sort of uh, movie trailer a cutaway that they do in like the second or third episode. Right. Um, and then there's the um, storybook cartoon that's like in like maybe the seventh or eighth episode. And I don't really think there's a lot more than that. Like, there, I feel like most of it is yeah. like, like it's, I feel like they had more of those ideas in the can than they were able or not in the can, but they had more of it in their head than they got in the can. And, and that that's unfortunate because I think that that, would have been a great way to lighten what is, uh, to your point that you brought last up last week, easily one of the most horrific and terrible uh, moments in human history. Um, and uh, I, I think um, it was uh, instructive um, uh, to me to uh, understand um, all of the parameters around it. I think when, you know, like, uh, for me, especially with, uh, you know, world history and, 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 uh, uh, kind of timelines and stuff like that. Sometimes I don't always process personally, like exactly how long, how many months, years, certain things lasted, you know? Um, and to, to, to really kind of reflect on the idea that, you know, the Holocaust, like, wasn't like a weekend or a week. Like there's just like, you know, there's this, this protracted long period of time of, of absolute abject you know, horror, um, for these, these, uh, for these, for, for this component of humankind, um, really, um, was interesting, um, academically and, and horrifying. And, and I, I thought, uh, and I guess in that way you have to do something, right? Like I, it's too heavy. It's just too heavy of a con of a, of a concept to, to, to talk about. So I, 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 you have to do something there in order to lighten it up a little bit, not in a way to take away from the horrors, but rather to distract everybody so that it's not just such a difficult watch that nobody can stay with it. Right. Um, so that, that's a thing that I, I think they did pretty well there. Um, 
I thought there were some beautiful moments. There was the um, the one moment, I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who's going to watch it, but there's that one moment um, at the wedding um, and um, Jonah is asked to speak at mm-hmm. the wedding. I think he offers up a prayer. Do you remember? The, like he, was, he like, totally butchers it and then throws it away and does his own thing and kind of shares his own prayer of, you know, what that he moment. remembers is off to four. Yeah. It, yeah. That moment. And I think the way that was filmed, I think was like beautiful. Like that was, that was almost at that emotional level of that episode of last of us. Like it was like a beautifully filmed moment. Um, there's another, uh, moment. I don't want to get too spoilery here, but there was another moment, um, where, um, Mindy, um, actually, uh, she has that kind of daydream. It's near the end of the, of the first season. Mm-hmm, I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember that one. Um, but that, that was also very beautifully filmed and was very touching. So I feel like there's some really, really, really good film filming happening there. Um, I'm going to say, and I would really like your take on this. There is a couple of information dumps in the second half of that thing that talk about, uh, what happened with the Nazis and where they landed and who was on the hook for that. And Dude, <laughs> like, uh, can you say that? <laughs> like, I just sort of stopped and I was like, what? Like, I mean, I, just, I assumed that I needed to pick up and move. Like, I, I was like, well, I can't live here anymore. I mean, I guess if even a fraction of this is true, I got to get out of here. This place <laughs> is terrible. Like, I mean, it was um, holy shit. Like, the, and they're just, and they are dropping bombs. They are, they are villainizing a huge part of the componentry of, of American politics and entertainment and a whole bunch of other things that are wrapped up in Nazis. And I, I don't know if this is, um, I mean, I don't know about any conspiracy theories around it and I don't know that I've literally heard about any of that until I watched this show. So I'm not sure what they're trying to say, but, um, I would love your commentary about when they started spouting off about all of the things that are absolutely notified uh, through this show. Yeah, well, I mean, if you just replace an S and an A with a Z and an I, the Na- NASA is Nazi. So I I don't actually see the problem. It's That's all it. all fascist rockets built on the backs of uh, the Holocaust. Uh, yeah, I don't... <clears throat> I think it's intentionally over the top. I don't think anybody's going to watch this, uh, you know, wondering if it's historical fiction. Um, Perhaps, perhaps some people will. Uh, I mean, I shouldn't say that. We have people who think that our government is doing all kinds of crazy shit. And I'm willing to bet that like the end of any war, um, there's probably some truth to that. Uh, you know, I think um, Albert Einstein was uh, emigrated from Nazi Germany. Uh, and, you know, I mean, we definitely have some figures in our history um, who defected from Nazi Germany. Um, you know, some of the other people on the Manhattan Project were originally in Germany and defected and came over to our side to help build the bomb. So it's not far-fetched but it is taking like a kernel of something that's probably very true and just making it quite bombastic in what they're saying and yes i I mean 
definitely do not want to be driving around in some Nazi sled um, on the highway. So I'm with you, but I think it is, it's fiction, branded fiction in the same way that Independence Day is not something that happened, but, you know, uh, plausible, you know, uh, sure. Maybe we're secretly researching on the aliens that we're not talking about, but probably not to that level where they've infiltrated every level of American society. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really where I kind of like it's presented in such a f- startlingly factual way at points that I, I was like, well, you guys either need to shut the fuck up or, or right. I need to get the fuck out. Like, like, I don't know, like they didn't really leave a lot of gray in this show. That's like it. I, that was where I landed. I, 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 I am, I am uh, taken aback. Um, but overall in terms of just like a entertaining show had its little hooks and twists in it as it went. And I thought those were good and handled pretty well. And, um, uh, I wonder if they meant to have more than one season. Um, I would like to, uh, once you get to the beginning of the second season, I would love to talk to you about that. Cause I, yeah. I, I kind of felt like at the end of this season that I, I could see this have being been the end of, of what they meant to say. I, I did kind of have that vibe. Yeah. Uh, you have uh, a healthy amount of killing off uh, major characters in this season that it felt very much like a limited series, you know, where some of your core is not coming back and some of what made the show so interesting and fun to watch cannot come back for spoiler-free reasons. Uh, And yeah, I mean, like at the end of the show, they kind of have like that meaning like where they're breaking up or they're, you know, going on a European adventure, but it just felt more like the end of an Avengers movie where it's not so much that this is what we're going to do next. This is just kind of like the coda where we're processing, like, you know, explaining where these characters who are still alive might go on to. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think I felt the need to, man, really looking to forward to their um, grand European adventure, like, which is why I kind of paused after the first season because it felt good. It, it said what it needed to. It was a complete thought. It was, a complete arc of character progression for everybody who needed it. Uh, meal served, aperitif, all good. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I'll check it out at some point. Um, but obviously, I'm too busy watching very quality content like Lockwood and Co on Netflix. I saw exactly the title, the description of that, and the picture that they put on Netflix, and uh, I almost threw something through my television because yeah. things shouldn't be that shitty. What are you watching and why? Please explain. Okay. Well, the why is because there's nothing left on your Plex for me to watch, and I can't watch um, Twin Peaks because it's in 4 by 3 and basically looks like a grainy handy cam and I just can't do that. So I'm going to watch direct in HD instead because at least I get full picture quality. That's um, uh that's something. Would you like to tell the audience how many video games you play on a steam deck before you start spouting off about how small a four by three picture is in fairness, hi-fi rush. I am playing on the Xbox. And so I will swing back to that to redeem myself in a moment. Phew. Um, Phew. My elevator pitch summary, Lockwood and Co. Um, this is the thing: is Netflix is never not dependable in just pumping new content out on a regular basis that's bingeable. 
And I have a lot of hours before I can wind down at night where I'm looking for something to binge. And not all of that can be great content because eventually I'm just going to have watched all of the great content mm -hmm. um, or need kind of a palate cleanser in between great content. And Lockwood & Co. is kind of, you know, it's like a British show that maybe the CW turned down. Um, <laughs> and those guys don't turn anything. Right. I mean, I don't know that that's true and that's probably not true, but that's kind of the general feel. Um, it does have, as in any sort of spooky sci-fi with British people is going to be like at least one point better than it would be without British people. Um, there was a uh, being human that was out a couple years back that had a werewolf, a vampire and a ghost who all were like teen roommates and, that was a really good show. I know it doesn't sound like a really good show, but it was had a lot of heart, had some really interesting storylines, and um, that one I would push for. Uh, they actually did a remake, so there was like an original, and then they remade the show with a new cast a, a couple years later. Both were good. I remember the original being better, but it's almost a decade now, so I'd have to kind of check my notes or have a working memory without cognitive decline. Uh, <laughs> But this is, Lockwood & Co. is fun. It's an alternate history where ghosts are real and pandemic, they refer to it as the problem that started, you know, 50 years earlier. And the general premise of the show is only young people, teenagers can have these kind of psychic powers to interact and see the ghosts and fight the ghosts and they have different skills. They can... Some, you know, are more attuned to like hearing ghosts communicate. Some can like see death shadows to like see what's going on. And, but they're everywhere. Like these ghosts are like giant tarantulas walking around London ready to kill people. And there's like technology, there's special like lampposts to kind of like keep ghosts at bay. And so there's all of these agencies that are in the ghost removal business. And mm. so the show is about, you know, one such agency, you know, kind of plucky upstart without parental supervision um, and hilarity ensues. Uh, and I think it's actually pretty good. I would say that it is better than lock and key. Better than servant. And maybe <laughs> not quite as Be good as better than uh a catheter <laughs> that breaks <laughs> that, that's right it, it's, it is also better than that um better than c-span most nights um better than minor league lacrosse and um yeah that's where i would put it so if you've already all right. watched all of those and you're looking for something just a little bit better than lockwood and co lockwood and co okay I, uh, I, I, um, I am speechless. <laughs> I, <don't want> <laughs> I have, I have no idea what's going on. I, uh, well, I really dude, do just... hope that Netflix does raise their rates so high that you just cancel <laughs> it because Jesus Christ. Dude. 46 episodes what? in, I got to keep it fresh. I got to keep you on your toes and, uh, you know, bring you hot content that you haven't seen. And I and that is sure content that, that I haven't seen. <laughs> That's it. I mean, it's either that or YouTube videos of cordyceps taking over ants, which I've also watched way too much of. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's that's pretty good stuff. Yeah, I do that that uh, Planet Earth episode with that in there was pretty wild for sure. Okay, so don't watch Lockwood and Co. Next, what else do we have? Hi-Fi Rush. Hi-Fi Rush. Yes, um, two levels in. Two levels in right now. Okay, so yes. two. Levels, so you're in like the fiery lava board. Yes. No. Did, did you yes. beat? Did you beat the wrestler? Did you beat her? No, I'm meeting her. I just went through. I did the okay. um, ride. There's that like yep. uh, on the magnet ride that you go on. And I think I'm about to. I think okay. I got to the other side of that. Okay. So I'm like just a little bit past you. What a fucking fun, lovable game. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my son, Henry, has been playing it a boatload and he's tearing out. He's way further than I am. And I'm like, I can't even watch him play because he's going to spoil the game for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's tearing it up. He is all rhythm. He has got it. And yeah, so we saw the um, trailer for this and had to immediately go out and start playing it. It is a rhythm-based third-person action game, and it's rhythm-based in that the entire world is just grooving to the beat all the time. Like everything around you is just like, you got fire hydrants that are bopping all over the place and, uh, you know, the lights are all strobing to the beat. And so the enemies attack on the beat. And so like all of their attacks are like kind of solo in and then they'll attack. And so you can dodge in the rhythm and your attacks will always land on the beat. But if you actually do the rhythm part of it, right, you'll get boosts and things will just take off because you'll just be fucking grooving. Mm-hmm. And it's really fresh. Like it is just a fresh title. I, I don't know anything else like it. The, um, cell shading on it is superb superb yeah the animation that that variable animation that they do the to evoke hand-drawn stuff you know how like it feels like it's a little jittery on purpose like is so good man isn't that good animation so fucking good yeah Mm. every part of it the writing is really good too i mean for relatively small kind of fun scale story like just the dialogue is clever the self-awareness you know the uh, a rope trap what are you a cartoon character yeah <laughs> it's perfect uh, i love it to death um so i can't say too much more about it other than i really think everybody with game pass should be playing it and just eating it up yeah. um is it's so much love it went into this game and it's unique it's accessible it's imminently playable by players with all different skill levels um and rewarding for players of all different skill levels nothing is ever unfair if you fall in the lava they immediately just put you back and there's like no punishment for that if you die you just get to continue like they're not it's not about that it's just about playing the game having fun advancing and making your way and love it uh, so far like uh, preliminary it's almost a 10 and I'll come back to it when we get through the rest of it. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try to get some more, more time in, it in the next few days. I really like it. I think they did a terrific job. Um, it does evoke a little bit of like a devil may cry or like a, some sort of third person action where yeah. you can kind of combo things and, you know, get a rank S rank stuff, you know, and, um, that, but it is that accessibility that you're, you're calling to is exactly it. Like the, you just get rewarded for doing the rhythm part of that. If you decide not to, you can just mash on the buttons, yep. slice up dudes and just keep going. And, um, 
really good, really fun. Um, always they layer in the things that you learn very well in the tutorial, you know, pieces of it as you go. It, it definitely always feels like they taught you just enough to get to the next part. Um, not too many systems at all. Like it, it's, it's fair in that way too. Um, yeah, just a terrific little game. I, I, um, I am so happy that this came out. Um, what do you think about the idea of that shadow drop and the, the idea that like this game was not even announced and then like, got trademarked on Tuesday, dropped on Wednesday. Nobody knew anything about it, and it's just out there. Um, in a sea where gaming just isn't like that. Like, you just, yeah. and movies aren't like that. TV shows aren't like that. Like, we're just trailered and advertised to death and so many things. What do you think about that? I think all games should do this because we survived a 2022 with absolutely no major releases and about a thousand games that were delayed. And... Nobody wins. The developers don't win. The teams that are producing these games and, you know, working 16 hour days because there was a release date announced and they're not going to make it don't win. Consumers don't win who are excited to play something that they don't get to play. Uh, the hype dies down, everything about it. Like, I think even if you want to like build up hype for a game, have it fucking done. Like, yeah. 100%. I think they absolutely did the right thing and they were able to just drop something that was exciting and enormously satisfying without any of that drama. And I'm sure this was not a simple game to put together. Um, so kudos to them. Like we should do that more hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Like shorten that, that window of, of advertising. I mean, it's probably hard to shadow drop everything. You know what I mean? At some point yeah, you do have yeah. to have a little bit of hype, have some hype, but but yeah, I mean, what a perfect example of Starfield. I mean, and don't get me wrong, I'll play that and love it whenever it comes out. I'm not, you know, taking that away from it, but but God, like we've known about Starfield a long time and we got the trailer that year before that was saying it was going to be last year. We were coming into that last year. We couldn't see it then. Like they pushed it they said it'll definitely be out by June. Looking at the stuff that we talked about, what was it last week or the week before when the uh, Xbox had their little um uh, developer direct. Um, I don't know where Starfield is going to fit. They said that it would be out by end of June. Like that was the thing. Like it was yep. like, right. And so what are we looking at? We're looking at April. April is the Minecraft game. May is the Redfall. Is Redfall mm -hmm. coming out in May? Um, June is Diablo four. Yeah, and, and what was it? That's early, yeah, early June, like the second, I think. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, um, uh, there was uh, Street Fighter Six is coming out in June. Um, the new Zelda game, I think, is in May. Like, there's like a lot of stuff coming out right in the next couple of months. So, wh where do you put it? Where do you put Starfield? Where what is it, what's a good release date for it? November twenty twenty three. That's <laughs> they are. You really think they're going to push it? You think you think it's good? I do. I, yeah? I, they don't have a date for it right now. They don't. The, the date they is don't. first half of 2023. Like, that's telling me that it's not going to be the first half of 2023. <laughs> like, they might as well just say the only thing it is not is the thing they said it is. No, I'm, I'm like, seriously, like, if they if they were ready, like, it's February 9th, like, so what is the first half? You've got. March, April, May, June, like you're down to like 120 days left to go. You know, if you are hundred days out from releasing this motherfucker and you can put a date on it and yeah. the fact that they don't have a date and we're 
one quarter, one, one third of the way into the release window that they gave us, they just forgot to write not before first half of 2023. <laughs> That's that, that, that was a typing error. That's not, they never meant to say anything else. It was just not the first half of 2023. That is the only thing that I'm sure of. Um, and also I really want to play this game and that kind of cynical rationalizing will make me a lot more comfortable and pleasantly surprised if it does drop in June or July. But I, man, I don't see it. Like something is fucking borked with this motherfucker. They are looking, they're staring down the barrel of another cyberpunk Mm -hmm. and they don't want to do it. Like they don't want to run into it. It's, cyberpunk mass effect one and all of the glitchy nonsense with some of those missions like this is a big game with a huge scale that they're trying to build on the same system and scale of fallout and oblivion and those are open world games but they are way fucking smaller than what they're trying to do in starfield and i just i don't know man i i don't buy it i i don't believe it i think we'll be talking about it holidays of this year i think that's realistic yeah it's also telling that they just said 2023 for that new forza motorsport game too right which means they didn't really know where to put that in the first half of the year and that looks like it's more done than starfield so um i i assume that that to me sounds like an august game like i think they're probably going to just come out and say right right around the madden time frame that they'll we'll have a new racing game which means yeah like where else do you put it but in november for starfield like what else is there um yeah i don't know i don't know that's uh that's that's some some heavy stuff but yeah well whenever it comes out it'll be exciting so yeah matt booty did say that it would release after redfall Okay, so now it has to be after May 2nd, right. but before June 30th. <laughs> yep. So to... once again, I just want to be clear, <laughs> they've, not, they've, they've, not first half of 2023. Like that's, not. If, if you know that, if you know that it's releasing after May 2nd before June 30th, put a bird on What's, it, just to yep. fucking put a date on it. Just to, yep. you're so close, just, just say. Tell me. They they did say right around the developer direct that they are going to have a separate Starfield direct that's supposed to happen in the next month or so, like that is going to be just a show about Starfield, um, at which time they will write the knot in front of the title card. Count it. Like, uh, I am not in the prediction business, but I don't yeah. think so. Um, no. So I think this half is probably going to be our last half. I don't think we're going to do a third section. I want to get a brief hit on um, Knock at the Cabin because it looks like a weird fucking movie that um, might be by, you know, <clears throat> my favorite showrunner of uh, Darling Show Servant. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I mean, if he could do that, then I'm sure he was able to really do something great you know, in a cinematic format. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I think M Knight's uh, connection to TV shows has been tenuous. I feel like as this movie displayed to me and some of his other stuff, I know you're going to come up here and we're going to do some M Knight homework at some point. We have a couple of movies of his that you have to watch and kind of catch up on, but his best work um, 
not his best work. Some of my favorite work of his. I don't know that it's, it's fair to say his best work because some of his stories are a little bit bigger than that. But I do think that he works well in creative constraints for his little puzzle boxes, right? So I think um, we'll we'll get a chance to watch Devil um, we'll, and The Visit both. Like those are those are smaller stories that he's done, and when he does these smaller stories, he sets up these like really cool. Um, I call them puzzle boxes or puzzle games because that's what they feel like. They feel like escape rooms. Like they're set up specifically to just throw a couple of variables in here and some reasons why you have to play this game and then hour and a half go. And he just gets you to the other side of this thing. This was actually um, much like old. um, This was actually not an original work of his. So old was actually a, a graphic novel um, that he did, and this was actually a book um, that uh, he wrote. He co-wrote the screenplay for, and he did also direct and produce this. But, um, but the source material for "Knock at the Cabin" is actually a book. I think it's like the cabin at the end of, at the edge of, the cabin at the edge of the, at the edge of town, or cabin at the edge of the universe, or something like that. It's it's uh, at the edge of civilization. I forget what the name of it is, but the cabin at the end of something. So it's, it is source material that was adapted, um, for a movie. Um, and I think in that way, I think it, his stamp on it, his flavor profile that he puts on these types of stories is, is really, um, fantastically wrought in this, uh, in this, uh, medium. Um, it's a good movie. It is not what I thought it was going to be, in terms of its resolve, I will say that. Um, also, if for some reason you fall on the book or you fall on a spoiler from the book, they do change parts of this story for specifically for the movie. Um, some rather big changes, as a matter of fact, because I, after the fact, got to read those and find out that the book does does do very different things as it goes on, um, which is also kind of an interesting uh, way of uh, taking it. I think by the end of the movie, I understood what the point was because the actual point uh, and what you're kind of learning from the trailer and, and as the, the puzzle box is opened is not really maybe the resolve and the point that you get at the end of it. I will say it was more subtle than I would have expected. The, mm. the point was more subtle. I didn't, I, I don't, I think after meditating on it a little bit, it's, it's why I understood why it was, uh, I, I don't want to say clever, but it was more clever. Uh, and, and then, then once, once it's over, if you take it at face value, I could see some people being disappointed. Uh, but I think if you kind of read into a little bit of what, what it was trying to say by the end of it, I do think it was pretty good. I, uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed okay. it. I think it was good. Um, he does a great job. Um, Batista, the, the big wrestler dude, yep, yep. um, uh, career turning performance. I loved him in the guardians of the galaxy movies as Drax. Um, and, uh, he does an outstanding job. He gets well directed. It is an example of somebody who is, is told about the character and understands the character and was directed through being that character in a, in a beautiful way. I thought that he did a great job Um, more so than just about everybody else. He is also one of the more verbose of the, of the, you know, small cast of characters that are in it. Uh, One of the, the uh, fathers um, in that are at the cabin also is the other one that has quite a few lines and and whatnot, but uh, um, overall quite good. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It isn't, the movie I, I expected by the end of it, but I, I did enjoy it. I thought there was a, it was a cool um, and and uh, 
light touch to the type of resolve that this sort of movie might have. Um, so um, good stuff overall. I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I, there is a thing that he does, um, and he's done it in other movies to uh, M. Night, where... Um, and actually it's the one thing that isn't totally shitty and servant where like when you're, when you're going to solve the problem, they do a good job of sprinkling, um, and I think good magical realism does this in general, where they sprinkle doubt not just with the with the characters, but they sprinkle it with the audience, right? Like they make they make the audience say, "Well, I don't know, maybe it is bullshit. Eh, maybe it's not bullshit. Eh, it's probably bullshit." And you're doing that that kind of ping pong the whole time, like trying to figure out what's going on, like throughout the story. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like that was exceedingly well done here. There was a couple of moments in it, which like kind of gets you sort of keyed up, like where you start getting very anxious. Like, I don't know, man, I don't even know if it's bullshit or not. I just want to know what the fucking answer is. And, and so it, it does a good job there. So um, overall, but good. I'm not going to call it his best movie. I will say that it is at, in the upper tier. I think it is, okay. it is definitely, uh, it is up there. It is, uh, I don't know if you've heard this before, a solid eight. And uh <laughs> I mean, that is that is what we do here is we give out eights. That's it. Um, Everybody. Eights. So it sounds like worth watching, maybe not something that you need to rush to the theater to see. Nah, nah. It, it will, there is nothing about that experience that's going to be a theater experience. It is it is a small movie in the ways that his small movies work best. I mean, it's, a, it's a nice, it's a nice, uh, is it, it's that sort of flavor, the way Devil is, where it's like a really fun, cool uh, Twilight Zone episode almost, like where right it's kind of got you like chewing on stuff with a will they, won't they kind of thing. And then it just sort of, you know, it resolves in the way that, you know, the the author intends. It's uh, it's neat, but but definitely not a theater movie, you know. Yeah. God, that's such a good uh, analogy to some of his movies and why I think he sometimes gets dragged by people who just want everything to be, you know, a huge twist or unbreakable or, you know, like a blockbuster where some of them are these quieter, more introspective thought pieces that are well enjoyed at home. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, and maybe that's like, maybe he would do well with some of these like in the post COVID era to have like a simultaneous release or do a Netflix movie or, yeah. you know, put something on Mac. So it's an interesting thought. Um, okay. I, we've talked our asses off uh, from this date of our union to uh, all of the unions to everybody's union to, um, yeah, I think we got everything we needed to. We did everything we need to. Yeah, I know there's a couple of smaller pieces we probably wanted to chew on. Maybe we'll we'll punt those till next week because I think they'll 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 keep for another week if we if we uh, if we can. Yeah, and uh, you know it's um, you know at Passover, you know we say you know maybe next year in Israel, you know when we do some of the toasts, and you know maybe next week, Starfield. Maybe next week, Starfield. Yes, that's exactly it. Sounds good. Cool. We'll see you next week. Peace, everybody.